Hi. Hello. Howdy. Hi, everyone. Um, this is episode, I think it's number four, number five. Um, oh, today we have Paul. Um, we, never, we never established an alias for you, but uh, do you have a name that you've always wanted to use? Um, you gave me one. My, my nickname is oh, Bode. Oh, Bode. Oh, Bode, Bode, Bode. Not Shaldidi. My Chinese name is Liang Jingbo, but you call me Liang Jing Bode. And that's, Bode. Uh, yeah, so. The Bode. Um, so today we have Bode with us, uh, a.k.a. Paul. Um, and I guess before we start, I just want to to tell Paul or Bode uh, and those who are listening, just want to talk about the reason why I'm doing this uh, and what actually got me thinking about it. Um, basically, I think a lot of the times there's a lot of jobs you think are cool uh, that you imagine doing and you see on LinkedIn jobs or you see someone that has on their LinkedIn as their title, but then uh, when you actually either do that job or you find out more about the job, you're like, oh, actually, I'm not sure if I want to do that or the opposite. Like, oh, I think I could do that. And this is probably just another way, hopefully, for someone to learn um, more about a certain role. Like there's some ambiguous titles, even like business analysts. Like I think yeah. I have to ask you a lot of questions about that. Um, but I think there's a lot of ambiguity. And for someone like me, I think I would have benefited if I grew up and heard, heard or had another resource of information um, to hear about what people do in their day to day and what kind of skills they need to be good at their job. Um, so, um, yeah, so I, I blame Bode for not helping me earlier. And now I'm still trying to figure out what to do with my life. Um, but yeah, if we could take some time, Paul, um, if you could just introduce yourself, start with maybe your current role, but how you got there and we'll go from there. Yeah, my name is Paul Leong. I'm 30 years old. I grew up in Dallas, Texas. Uh, my parents are Taiwanese immigrants. I was born in Plano, similar to Jesse. And um, Richardson. I, I was in Richardson. Oh, that's right. I was in Plano West. <laughs> Plano West is more affluent, more privileged. More heroin? Not more heroin. I don't know if there's less heroin. We'll see. <laughs> um, but uh, moved from Dallas <laughs> to Seattle, Washington. Um, there's more weed here. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah more recreational. Uh, smoking around here in Seattle. Uh, me, and, me and my wife moved here, just wanted to change the scenery. There wasn't anything compelling about it. Um, just growing up in Dallas all our lives. Only went to you know, college at UT Austin. That was just four hour drive away. Um, when we had a couple that moved to Seattle, we just visited every summer and fell in love with it and just packed up and flew over here. And uh, when I flew here, I was actually still working with my company back in Dallas, Texas mm. um, as a business analyst. And so I moved here remote. My boss was really gracious to let me um, work remotely as long as, until I could find a new job here in Seattle. And, and then um, my current role in Seattle is I'm working with Slalom, a consulting firm. They're mainly known for management consulting, but they're trying to, expand their capabilities beyond just being a management consultant. Um, they're looking at how do we in, you know, integrate with technology. And so my current role is I'm on a project with T-Mobile and my official title is I'm the email channel manager. And so for T-Mobile, a lot of their marketing messages happen through email. There's other channels like SMS or through the app itself. 
or through direct mail that you get right in your mailbox as a physical piece of mail. Um, and so I stepped into this email marketing channel role. And um, what I do is I try to unlock more capabilities um, for email marketing. And I also manage um, over, have oversight over all the email campaigns um, and try to find ways to improve the engagement that customers have or subscribers have with our emails. Mm. Um, and so, so that get people look, get people to open the emails basically. Yeah. To open is one of them. And another engagement might be, you know, clicking within the email. If that's the strategic objective of the email itself, it depends on the type of campaign. Mm. And um, there's a lot of other creative ways that you can leverage email, you know? Mm. Um, and so there's a lot that goes behind it. I, didn't really know. I didn't have any email experience before that. And so I just stepped right into it about a couple months ago and, and have now become a subject matter expert of sorts. Yeah. yeah. So you're, so technically you're a senior consultant, but what you do as a senior consultant, you're an email channel manager. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so okay. A lot of people within slalom have the title senior consultant. Mm. And then um, in each of our slalom profiles, um, it starts listing out what is maybe some areas of special, like specialities, right? Oh. So some people might be like, hey, I, I, I market myself as a project manager, mm. but I have capabilities of being a data analyst, I have capabilities of being a change management, and I can do other things. And so what they try to do is market yourself as someone who's more versatile. Yeah. And you might end up in roles where you are given the opportunity to become a subject matter expert, even mm. though you're not currently one right now. Yeah, I was thinking that it kind of set you up pretty well after if you ever just leave slalom, then you can kind of rebrand yourself in a way and not be pigeonholed to maybe a specific title. Yeah, I wouldn't have ever gotten any marketing experience if it wasn't because slalom as a manager, as a consulting firm, they want to pitch um, their consultants as people that are very versatile. Mm. And so for myself, I, you know, I didn't have any email experience, but what I did have experience was um, understanding um, look, understanding data and looking mm. at customer data and how do you use data to draw insights and how do you use those insights to create or how do you use that to feed back into you know certain strategies or business mm. objectives hmm. and so there's a lot of times where a lot of companies they have business objectives but it's not it doesn't have a data feedback and so they're just saying, um, you know, I could say, for example, marketing emails. Um, the best time to send emails is in the morning. And mm. my, uh, the objective is to send emails in the morning. Mm. Uh, but if I'm looking at the data of how customers are engaging with emails, I might look at what time of day they open right. and what time of day they end up clicking on it. And I might find that, you know, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, customers tend to open and click on emails in the afternoon. Mm. And so there's certain beliefs that businesses have that, um, it's not necessarily yet having a data feedback loop. And so for me, when they interviewed me, they really, they wanted to know what was my thought process behind uh, my previous roles. And they soon found out that I had an experience of just drawing insights from data and um, coming up with a, a, a plan to use that data and read, you know, inform the business strategy. So yep. having that feedback is pretty important. And so they thought that was just enough and yeah, step right into the role. So, so I guess going back a little bit, so you, you talked about um, email um, not being something you're used to, like you never had that experience, but from your business analyst background, that was very applicable. Like it, it was just another name for something and you could actually just plug yourself in and learn a little bit. Um, wasn't that difficult for you? 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I had, I, I kept telling my manager, like, I, I don't have the email experience for it. Right. But she said that, you know, there's something that I could just keep learning as I go. Okay. And, um, and just project the confidence, you know, mm -hmm. with the meetings and uh, take on the responsibility. And yeah. so that involves just a lot of research on my own time and just yeah. figuring it out as I go. So besides obviously like the email channel stuff, how different is your current role from like the one you were before at Unify? Are you seen your business, your, yeah, your business analyst role at that company? Yeah. So actually in slalom before slalom, I was, I was a, um, I was, I didn't have an official title, which is weird, but <laughs> I was like a business analyst or a product manager. So basically my role was that the senior vice president of product at T-Mobile, mm. he wanted all the product managers in the company who, are, who take care of products. So in T-Mobile, there's certain definitions of what a product is. In T-Mobile, there's um, maybe a product is like, uh, you know, Netflix on us. That's a product. What T-Mobile does is they say, if you sign up with us, we're going to pay for your Netflix. And um, another product might be um, SyncUp Drive. SyncUp Drive is an internet of things uh, device that you put in your car. And what it can do is it can track your car's usage. It can um, act function as a hotspot. And so mm -hmm. that's a product for T-Mobile. And so T-Mobile had a lot of these different offerings, even though T-Mobile is just simply seen as a mobile carrier there's a lot of other product and offerings that they provide. And so one thing that the senior vice, Pro, uh, vice president of product and technology wanted to do was to have all the product managers start identifying key performance indicators. And so an example of a key performance indicator is, you know, um, you know in, in the game of NBA, um, if you just look at points per game scored, that doesn't necessarily mean that your team is going to, that's going to lead to more wins. Mm. You might want to look at, Hey, what is the, uh, the net rating of a player? And because if I look at net rating that correlates more closely with wins. And so for a lot of these products, a lot of times they measure their performance of the product based upon maybe like revenue or how many signups there are when those aren't really key performance indicators, maybe like for Netflix on us, you would find out that another key performance indicator is how long, what's the customer retention for someone who, activate with Netflix on us. And then, cause sometimes not everyone keeps it for about a year. Mm. Uh, maybe people end up only staying with T-Mobile for about six months, but they drop right. back. Yeah. So to identify those key performance indicators, that was for me, I initiated all those conversations and then helped oh. build a dashboard that shows, hey, if, um, where, how's my product currently doing and what are my strategies to improve it? Mm. And then how do I measure against that? And there's data visualizations to show each of those strategies, how they're going to impact. Yeah. Certain, so know, I imagine, I imagine for him, even if he's not too data savvy, like he can just look at that and be like, Oh, we should put more money or concentration into this area. And that would help our outcome. Something absolutely, like that. Yeah. Because the whole point of it was to, um, you know, when I talk to product managers, mm. they only think along the, they think very granular about their products, but when you want to roll that up to senior leadership teams, they're not, they don't, they don't want to know the nitty gritty details. And so you want to give them a, a certain data visualization that's right. to their level. And so that's basically what we did. We provided all these dashboards and they're able to select the visualization that they really like mm. to help inform their decision-making about, Hey, do we need to just can Netflix instead? Do we need to invest in maybe not a streaming service, but say, for mm. example, what if we want to go with Spotify, you know? Right. Um, and so that's, this, 
that's kind of like the work that I did. Okay. Just, yeah, I managed a lot of the creation of those dashboards. Yeah. So one thing I hear, because I think my assumption also knowing you, like definitely probably good with Excel spreadsheets, numbers, and those kind of things. But uh, something I'm also hearing is you're actually good at wearing multiple hats. Like you're actually able, I guess the business word, which I didn't actually just learn until two years ago, like stakeholders, yeah. able to communicate with different stuff. The, the longest time I was yeah. like, stockholders? <laughs> like, what is a freaking stakeholder? But I know. Uh, but yeah, it's just like people who have different investments in the company at different positions, right? Um, have you found like, for, okay, so from what I hear, it sounds like you're actually good at doing that. Like you're good at communicating with different types of people in different levels, which is really important for business, right? Yeah. Would you agree? And if you agree, like how did you develop that? Yeah, so I started developing that in my first, or either my first or second role. So my mm. second role that I got was I was a business analyst. I didn't know what that meant. I just wanted to learn new technology. I was stuck in a role previously to that at a, at a startup as a mm. marketing compliance analyst. And I was really called to only stay in my one lane. And that was mm. to make sure that our marketing programs were complying with legal like rules about marketing. Like, and so for me, I just wanted to branch out. I just want to learn whatever technology was out there and uh, mm. whatever it was called, I didn't really care. And so I just took the first one that I could get. And um, in that role, I found out what a, being a business analyst meant was, um, as you said, taking the stakeholder and um, sometimes the stakeholder might want maybe a new, like a new app. You know, mm. they, want, they want to design a new app or a new software application that's used by certain end users. And so they might request that. But in order to get that made, I need to, I need to talk to the developers and I need to be able to bridge that gap mm. between the stakeholder requests and the developer. And soon I found out that in my role, um, it's often not the case that whatever the stakeholder requests is going to get built one-to-one -one by the developers. Mm -hmm. And even if the, de even if the developers did build exactly what the stakeholder requested, it wouldn't um, be exactly what the stakeholder actually really wanted at the end of the day. And so my job was to figure out what are the true needs of the stakeholder and then be able to communicate that really clearly to the developers yeah. and um, iterate upon that because it's, it's always a work in progress. Right. And so for me, that was learning that, you know, when I talk to stakeholders, uh, they think very differently. Um, they're very, they're very confident in what they want. Um, when I speak with developers, they just want, sometimes they just want marching orders. Mm. Um, and so I worked with a lot of uh, India offshore teams. Mm. And so they were, you know, because of the cultural gap, they're not going to take anything, you know, they're not going to try to read between the lines. They want to know exactly what. Right. Literally. Yeah. And also in between the stakeholders and the, uh, and the developers um, is the end user. And so just because a stakeholder says, hey, I want this, doesn't mean that the end user is going to find that to be very useful. Mm. And so for me, just thinking about each of those people, I needed to kind of juggle the priorities and what the end user was, is really um, is going to actually end up using. Mm. And it's going to make sense to them. You know, because yeah. stakeholders might be like, you know, the boss or the manager or the director and mm. director's not using it, you know, a, a certain software application day in, day out. And so, yeah. um, you know, I ended up making, you know, some mistakes where I ended up saying, hey, whatever this key stakeholder wanted, let's just deliver it. Mm. And um, soon I found out that, you know, when the developers ended up um, remaking, you know, readjusting what they were coding for them, I soon found out that. I was using a lot of the time and resources of the developer wrongly, mm. you know, and I soon found out the key stock didn't really exactly want that thing. You know, wow. they wanted a different software app and the end users wanted something differently. And mm. so 
I had to be like a very critical, I had to learn to be a very critical thinker. I went into the role just thinking, I just want to learn whatever technology there was. And soon I found out that behind technology are like several groups of people. You're dealing with people mainly, you know, and people are the greatest inefficiency when it comes to making a certain technology. And so I think just going through those growing pains, it was really, um, it helped me understand that, you know, when you're talking to someone, it, they have different priorities in mind and you got to juggle those. Yeah. And you're good at sifting through those priorities, eh? <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. You got to tell people what they want to hear, but also um, make sure that you, you end up making something that's worthwhile. You know? so. Well, that's helpful. Cause I think I've always assumed when I seen some of those jobs postings, just business analysts, like straight up numbers, straight up uh, financial yeah. evaluations, which is, it seems like a big part of it, but a large part of it as well. Um, seems like it's also just managing people's expectations. Yeah, absolutely. That's, I feel like day in, day out, that's, I wish that when I was in university that they taught you how to manage people's expectations when a request comes in mm. and how do you navigate um, multiple expectations upon you? Yeah. And because when there's a certain request that gets made, there's always a requester and you might not be the person that's called on to get it, to actually do, fulfill the request. You might be depending on another team to fulfill it for you. And so um, I think managing, you know, the requester and the people that will actually fulfill the request, how do you manage those expectations and how do you come up with a plan and meetings and instead of certain team dynamic, right. um, those are things I wish I learned in university. Yeah. But this also seems like a very good foundational role uh, to, like you said, you could be, you're a senior consultant right now. Um, but you could also almost become a product manager. Like you could apply for a PM role for a startup company. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's, that, that's interesting because I know obviously PMs is like the sexy role right now. Everyone wants to do it. Um, yeah. But I don't think people know also the path to maybe something like that. Have, have you yeah. ever thought about that? Yeah, definitely. When I was working, you know, in my previous project to this one, I was working with all those product managers. Right. And I, I would ask them sometimes to be like, how do you enjoy being a product manager? And I soon found out that being part of product manager meant so many different things to so many people. Mm. Um, just because you're managing a certain product doesn't mean that, um, like some people are very product feature focused. And so say for example, um, T-Mobile might have like a, a product called SyncUp Pets. It's a, a device you place on your pet and it's able to monitor you know, how far has the pet walked? Mm. Um, if the pet exits a certain geolocation, like if yeah. it breaks out of a fence, it's it alert you or something. Out. Yeah. And so there's a, I've met several product managers that were working on this one product. And mm. um, one product manager was very, was trying to figure out how do I use um, new technology to enhance the usability of this product so that people want to actually mm. buy it. I, mm. I talked to another product manager where they were focused on maybe the the performance of the product. And so um, with the geolocation that requires, you know, um, a certain tracking um, with, a, with a vendor. And so they wanted to make sure that the tracking with the vendor, the uptime um, mm. in, in the performance of that tracking was very accurate. And so another one was a product manager was actually focused on, you know, the sales of it, you know? And so I, f I soon found that, that there were like, facets. Yeah. Like someone was focused on usability. Yeah. Mm. There's different facets of being product manager. And so, but I think if you can think about what the product is and how do you make it um, usable for the end user, right. I think you have a starting foundation. Yeah. 
Yeah. Or even like as for your career, um, how you like to interact with products. Do you care about aesthetics? Like, do you care about how people use the product? Do you care uh, what programs go into designing that product? Um, mm -hmm. I imagine that might be also helpful. Yeah. Like there's some, like a UX designer. Um, I spoke with a UX designer in the consulting firm at Unify Consulting. Mm -hmm. And this was a self-made UX designer. They, they, they didn't have graphic design as their background, but instead mm -hmm. they just learned it on the way to their client, they would just be reading this book on about UX design. Really? And, oh. he, and he said that um, for him being a path, you know, his path to being a, a good UX designer, um, he's, he thought that um, if you branded yourself as a UX designer, you're really limiting your, your career. You're, mm -hmm. you're only being given like, um, you know, someone says, Hey, I want to, I want you to make a mock-up of a, of a, of a phone web app. And so on this mock-up, I want you to draw like all the interactions for the phone. And they, what they end up doing is so some UX designers, they only end up creating mock-ups and wireframes. So basically the skeleton behind sure. it, how you, how you, you know, how you interact with it. But at the end of the day, they don't get much of a say on, you know, do we want to change the direction of this app, you know? And so, he, you know, for him, he thought, hey, maybe I need to become a product manager. He says, I think product managers, they are able to use their X design background, but also steer how the app it goes and advise UX designers on how they should maybe create the mockups in the right. wireframes. And that was something that I didn't expect initially. Um, I thought as a UX designer, you would have more of a say on how to make a product more intuitive. Um, but I, found, I soon found that not every company views or values a UX designer equally. Right. Um, and so for this guy, he thought, the future of true UX design actually rests in the hands of a product manager. Hmm. No, I mean, that's interesting because obviously I'm a different industry, but as a recruiter uh, for higher ed or for tech or for education, like um, it, it really depends. Being a recruiter depends on the experience of what the type of, company, type of company you work for. Like some really value it. Some really just be like, oh, you're just kind of the, the back of the back, like just get in line. Um, yeah. So that, that makes sense. Um, cool. I guess you talked a little bit about your journey, uh, your current role. Um, what, what's your day-to-day? -day? Like, what do you, when, obviously, I mean, maybe this is similar to your routine when you're, when you're actually doing in the office, but love to know, like, what's your day-to-day? -day, what do you start with and end with? Yeah, so day-to-day, -day, commute to campus, usually grab a cup of coffee, try to get there about, get to work about 30 minutes early, mainly before my coworkers get there. Check NFL.com. When it's fantasy football season. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, if, it, if it's fantasy football season, I'll try to get a little even earlier so I can uh, do, make sure I cover that. Um, uh, and then usually get coffee. And then, um, you know, really, I just look at my outlook, look at, you know, for the day, what are my meetings? What are the things that I need to prep for? And figure out the times in my day where I can, um, where I can focus and get certain action items done. Mm. And so sometimes I have, you know, a, a, a document open that shows all the things that I'm working on. And they can be initiatives, and initiatives can have certain tasks with it and certain deadlines. And I might have priorities assigned to each of those, so I can mm. make sure that I'm focusing on things that are maybe um, must do, you know, sooner than later. Did you and, make that your own template or is that given to you by slalom? Yeah, I made it my own template and it was par partially because I would have weekly one-on-ones with mm. my client and in these one-on-ones, um, it, it was mainly 
for them to figure out how they could help me do my job. And I wanted to also use this tool of showing them what I'm working on so I can help them understand that um, this is how much workload I have. Mm -hmm. This is how much bandwidth I have. So if you wanted to give me something else, I would want to know that what, what is something else um, on my list that you would want to deprioritize so that this can get slotted in as you know priority one. Mm. And so it'd also be a way for me to show the value of my work. Mm. And so I would be able to show that, hey, for this one project I'm working on, like right now, all of our email campaigns, a lot of the images that you see, they're currently, um, I'm, I'm trying to get them stored in another technology uh, ecosystem so that we can do something more creative with it. So like say for example, um, there's something called T-Mobile Tuesdays. If you're with T-Mobile, yeah. they offer you, right? The uh, like free offers or- It's crap. They don't give me anything, man. I check every, I check every Tuesday, nothing I want. Well, sometimes they have those weekly uh, movie theater coupons. Like oh, I haven't seen those. It's $5 for, uh, for a coupon. So maybe you need to check your email more often. Um, but these T-Mobile Tuesday offers, they're only good for Tuesdays. And so most of the time we found out that, you know, I was looking at the analytics of it, 33% of, of opens uh, for that email happen after Tuesday. So that means that people uh, are going to that and they're real and, and they're losing the value on it, yep. but they're not being told that it's, it's expired. And so I found a way to store our images in another ecosystem so that after Tuesday, if you're a latecomer, instead the image will switch in your inbox and it's going to show Hey, look forward to next week's offers. Oh, and so maybe that can get people to engage more. We can see higher click to open click clicks on our emails next week. Mm -hmm. So that's something that I'm hoping to track. And so this is like a priority for me. I wanted to show that for this one project I'm working on, my main goal is to improve customer engagement. And when it comes to like customer engagement, you want to see what correlates with what's good for the business. And so when I think that more people are clicking on emails, it correlates with more, uh, more customers are actually interested in what T-Mobile has to offer. Yeah. So I think this, I think for leadership, they like seeing that and they like mm. seeing that that's effective. And so if my manager were to come in and say, I want you to work on something else. And mm. I would probably ask, what are the key performance indicators for this new thing you want me working on? And is it, is it more valuable than, getting more clicks on our email. Mm. So that would be able to help also my client kind of manage, oh, maybe this isn't as high of a priority. We can, we don't, we don't want to give Paul this right now. We can give it mm. to him later, you know? Yeah. And so as a consultant, it's pretty important for me because typically I think one of the trappings of being a consultant and maybe just starting off work in general is that you just want to say yes to everything. Yep. Um, and it's difficult to say no to your boss. And I find that, <laughs> I find that for myself, that's a, you know, this is my client. I don't want to say no to them, but I want to give them a good reason though. If I were to say no and, and, and give a justification without, you know, really hurting their feelings per se or making it personal. And so yeah. I kind of want to just say, Hey, just looking at the business, I think this is what's better. I'll still do what you want me to, but I just want to show you that these are the key performance indicators I'm looking at. So, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So I guess my last question for this part, uh, what's the next step for, for Bode? Uh, I mean, you're not, you're obviously not actively job searching, but what, like, is there any dream job you're, you're hoping to get, you're looking at what, what's in it for you? What's in step for you? Well, my dream job is to crush my, um, the guys in my fantasy football league for money <laughs> and hopefully, uh, 
Or you mean run a fantasy year. football league? What's that? You mean run a fantasy football league? I already do run it. I've won oh, three uh, times. Oh, yes, thank you. Yes. <laughs> um, dream job would be, yeah, I mean, I would love to, I mean, my dream job would, is probably not applicable to the marketplace right now. Mm. I would love to be an editor for print. Oh. Um, and basically take the content um, in, the, in the articles, make sure that they tell a cohesive story, mm. arrange the images so that it, it's also visually compelling and, um, and just publish that. And so for me, that would be a dream job, but right now print's going away. It's kind of like a Dunner Mifflin with paper. You know, it's, <laughs> it's a yeah. dying industry. Um, but currently what I'm working on, because I know I might not be an email manager, a ch- channel manager forever, is mm. um, I'm currently learning a data visualization software called Microsoft Power BI. Oh. And the BI stands for business intelligence. And so, I, I, you know, just hearing about what the pro- projects are out there, seeing that there's more of an appetite for data and there's a lot of data out there, but there's not many, uh, there's got to be a way to organize it and make it intuitive and understandable for different level, levels. Which, in the which you're good at. Yeah, I hope so. I'm not necessarily like a data scientist or a data guru, but I do want to figure out how to make data um, be able to tell the right story yeah. um, at the right time to the right people. So I think there's a rising demand for Microsoft Power BI users, and I can just use that as one of the skills in my toolbox um, into whatever role I go into next. So, yeah. Well, know. just yeah. I mean, just based off what you said too, it sounds like um, we just kind of have to all adopt skills versus roles. Yeah. Right. Because roles are kind of more fluid these days, like doing different things. But I think it sounds like you could probably be at Slalom forever because you can just get to work on different projects um, mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah, that's the hope. Um, cool. Okay. Well, I think this was helpful for someone ever thinking about um, even starting as a business analyst and where that could end up. Uh, that you wouldn't be necessarily an analyst, obviously forever, but you could end up in something like your role where you could kind of dabble in a lot of different things. I mean, email channel manager doesn't sound the most exciting thing to me, but then when you actually start talking about customer engagement, like how do you get people to get involved in terms of the product that you're, you're putting out um, like images, those kind of things sounds boring. And it's probably uh, what's it called? Uh, what's the word where you do something over and over again. It's not sexy at all, but there's value in it. Hmm. Uh, it's, I don't know. I don't know how to capture all that, but yeah. Yeah. That's something, something, that's something. Um, but yeah, uh, so I guess, yeah, for this part, last question, work. It's like a very basic word. Um, and this is part of the reason why I'm hearing you, Alex, some friends. Just, I want, I want to understand your idea of work. Like, is work, like, even for like a high school student, is work always supposed to be an encapsulation of meaning, of sexiness, of uh, purpose? Like, is it supposed yeah. to encapsulate all that? Uh, is it wrong to expect that what's kind of been your approach towards work yeah definitely so my perspective of work is really influenced by um, people outside of my my socioeconomic class mm. so like you and i grew up in plain you know you grew up in richardson i grew up in plano <laughs> so we, yes, thank you. In, we grew up in some form of suburbs right <laughs> so 
I think in general, like Plano itself is pretty, it's somewhat more homogenous. Mm. And so a lot of, a lot of people might have the bandwidth to think of work as something that they want to um, align their passions with and their dreams with. And it's going to, and I remember growing up, I heard from, you know, someone, my mentor or someone that was older in the church, they said, uh, if you, if you love your job, then you, then it's not like you don't have to work a day in your life. And so, you know, initially on, I just had a lot of these lofty expectations that when I worked, I really wanted it to intersect with my passions and my desires. Um, but the issue was that sometimes my passions and desires were more recreational. And so I found that, you know, there wasn't really a means to use my current skill set in a way that can um, benefit other people or, or the marketplace was demanding. Um, and so, you know, for me, when I, when I looked at people outside of my socioeconomic class, I, I soon found that, you know, because of scarcity, there, there's different ways to view work. Um, there are people in my neighborhood that are not even close to um, my socioeconomic status and their view of work is, is out of survival. Um, they're doing what, it, what they can in order to make ends meet for you know, their children or just even for themselves. And so when they look at work, um, you don't see a lack of effort. You see more effort. Um, you see necessity drive you know, them to work beyond in, in high levels of exhaustion. And so you know, I found that you know, in the workplace, I find you know, for a lot of us, we don't work nearly as hard. Um, and so, you know, for me, that gave me kind of a sobering view of work is that it doesn't always have to align with your passion and desires in order for it to be meaningful. Mm -hmm. There are other pathways to finding meaning in your work. Um, it doesn't always have to be along the lanes of what is what I'm most passionate about. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and also, there's just so many things that go behind um, things that um, might, might uh, inform that, that might feed into our passions. And so I like say, for example, you know, I, I'm, I love fantasy football. You, you love fantasy football. Mm. Um, what goes behind fantasy football? Well, there's, that requires someone to code the platform. Uh, well, you know, behind a platform that requires someone to make sure that all the data that comes from NFL.com gets fed into that platform. Um, there are people that, you know, in order for fantasy football to be meaningful, that requires data analysts to uncover new data metrics to help tell you which players are more valuable. Um, behind that, it requires a project manager. And behind all that, there's other roles behind that. And so to just say I'm passionate about one thing and then my job has to be directly related to it, I found that not to necessarily be true, that there's roles that you might not be, I, I have no passion for, for business analysis. There's nothing about it that necessarily wakes me up in the morning. But what I do have a passion for is when I can help drive and bring value to, a, to the end user. And so that can mean, that, that means, I, like, oh, yeah, I can jump into a lot of roles then, you know? Mm. And so I think in order for people to be kind of open-minded when they come out of college, I think it's just realizing that not everything has, the pathways to integrating your passion with your work, it, it, it can be very unexpected and it could be a wide open net. And the wider open you cast your net, maybe there's certain roles that you might go into and you might, um, you might realize, hey, I am doing something that mm. brings meaning, you know? Right. And so, um, and maybe some of... others have gone a different path, but at least for you, I mean, you're in a place where you enjoy your role. You, your outlook of work has kind of helped you enjoy that and get to a place where you've been, right? Yeah, definitely. And I value, in my work, I really value flexibility. So not, 
not within the role, but I do value my nine to five. Yeah. And, and so that's something that for me, I'm just not, I'm not necessarily driven to work, you know, like outside of work hours. And I really value what they call work-life balance. Mm. So I have a lot of balance, I think, in terms of my time and yeah. I'm able to do what I enjoy and I don't carry my work home with me. So mm. I, those are key priorities for me. Yeah. And then after work, you can bully people in your fantasy football league. Yeah, except not this year. Antonio Brown kept that dream from happening. Okay. Well, thanks, Paul. We're going to go into the next part now. So I'm going to stop. But thanks for sharing about your career. Yeah, no problem.